Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of On the Shoulders of Giants. I am Dave for a quick note. Max and I were on site for this episode 5 and the next episode 6. We had some great conversations and when we were doing this live, we caught Max a little bit quiet. Uh, Please enjoy Understanding Necessary and Sufficient, why it's not all that easy in this episode, as well as episode 6 also out today. Uh, We apologize again for any audio issues and we will be back same time, same place with completely fixed audio. We have made it to episode 5. I am sitting next to my co-host, the man who is both necessary and sufficient, Max Krug. Say hi to everyone, Max. Thanks for having me on the show today. Max, I I love it because it's literally your show, but you thank us for having you on every every single time. Uh, So... You feel like a guest. Well, we'll see. Everyone keep track. We'll see how many episodes in until Max says, yes, it's finally my show. I am. I'm no longer the guest. So uh, Max and I, as you guys can see, work together. We are on a customer site. Uh, We were sitting down and as crazy people do in the mornings before you head to customer sites, we were talking about, you know, theory of constraints and theories. And so we were having a very good conversation on necessary versus sufficient. And so a couple of days ago, we sat down, we were doing a lot of training and we kind of made the comments of, you know, it's necessary, but not sufficient or sufficient, but not necessary and kind of, kind of back and forth. And the conversation Max and I were having was, do people really understand it? Right. Yes. And <laughs> I think I looked at Max it's like 6.30 in the morning. And I'm like, Max, I feel like if you could explain the difference of necessary and sufficient, then th- there would like the money truck would literally back up and everyone would be like, Max, I finally understand what you've been saying for the last, I don't know, 36 years. We really need you to, to come and help us. So this, our goal is to kind of have the conversation of necessary versus sufficient and what is sufficient and what is necessary and what does it mean to people who don't necessarily understand the concept of necessary and sufficient, right? Yes. Do you want to give everyone a bit of a rundown of what is, I guess, what is necessary and what is sufficient and where is kind of the, the cross and the overlap? Yes, yeah, so the way I like to describe it is if we're trying to achieve some objective or some goal, mm-hmm. there's certain things that need to be in place to achieve that goal. So mm-hmm. those are the necessary conditions. Mm-hmm. So the necessary conditions are something that needs to be in place mm-hmm. to achieve that goal. Yep. So if we don't have the necessary things in place, of course, we're not going to achieve the goal. So companies that aren't able to achieve their goals, the first thing we're looking at is, do they have the necessary pieces in place to achieve that? Okay. Then once we get the necessary pieces in place, are those processes delivering the intended results? That's sufficient. So we need the necessary element in place to achieve the objective, but those necessary elements got to be sufficient to produce the results we're looking for. So every time I look at something or a company, I'm looking, do they have the necessary pieces in place or the necessary processes in place or the necessary elements in place? And are those necessary processes delivering sufficient results to achieve the goal? Okay. So we talked a lot about that in our training this week. So that's why Dave and I were discussing it because you know, I don't think people are clear with the difference between the two. And when we start looking at becoming a high performing organization, the first thing we're looking at is do they have the necessary things in place? A lot of companies have a lot of stuff in place, but mm-hmm. it's maybe not the necessary things that they need. So when we're talking about necessary, are we talking about necessary to create a product? Are we talking about necessary to grow an organization? Are we talking about 
All of those things? All of those things. I look at those three things to deliver what they need to the customer. Okay. And meet the needs of the company. Okay. Let's go through an example. So uh, Max and I have some, some beverages here. As I was thinking of this example, Max, I realized we may or may not be able to actually say what the beverage is. Um, but or for, for reasons you guys probably don't understand. But so like, let's go through and like, let's say this is a, this is a white claw, right? So everyone knows what a white claw is. It is the alcoholic sugary drink that doesn't have the alcohol or sugar flavor in it that people buy by the, I don't know, hundreds of thousands based upon what it seems like everyone is, uh, what everyone is drinking. So someone's drinking a white claw. We need the stuff that goes inside of it, right? So, so we need the liquids. So, so we need some, we need water, we need sugar, we need alcohol, we need tanks to mix it in. We need, uh, you know, the processes to pull out the alcohol and sugar flavors. And we need what we need a canning line in order to take the liquid to put it into the, the 12 ounce cans that you get. And then outside of the canning line, we need printed cans. I think white claws are all printed cans, right? So printed cans, that runs through the line. We need ends or tops as most of us normal people call them, but apparently we, we call them ends in the biz folks. So, so we, we need the ends that go on and then we need to put them in boxes and then the boxes go in cartons and the cartons go on pallets. Right. And so that is the process of, of how we make a, a white claw esque beverage. And so you need all of those things in order to make the product right yes and you need them in sufficient quantities in order to allow you to sell hundreds of thousands every weekend yes and then you need distribution in order to take them from the pallets onto trucks from trucks to distribution centers from distribution centers to the grocery stores yeah yep and then outside of that we need a whole sales and marketing arm to make a bunch of really awesome, uh, yeah, a, bu- a bunch of really awesome commercials and other things for people to want to buy these adult-esque beverages that don't taste like alcohol or don't taste like sugar, but will get you completely effed up on the beach on a Thursday night. So that that is an example of necessary. Uh, that is example of what everything that we need, and we need it in the volume and quantities to allow us to to go through it so as we talk about necessary and sufficient every process is necessary and sufficient right or like like every good process has to have that necessary and sufficiency if if for example we had all of those things but not the tops or the ends you can't make a white claw right so you could have all like you could have the necessary you could have all the necessary things you could have five thousand tops and you want to run a hundred thousand of these cans and you don't have the sufficient items in order to, to run it. So as, as we talk about that, Max, um, I'm thinking of another client that, that I worked with. So they're a cheese company, right? And so that they, these guys specifically like went through the process of producing the cheese and then slicing the cheese, think like Sargento, right? And so then they would take this cheese and they would put it in packages and and Max, I kid you not. So the, the company, the, the second word of the company is literally cheese, right in the company name. You want to know what their number one problem was? What what they did not have sufficient quantities to do? Cheese. Yeah, they, they ran out of cheese. 
their, their number one issue is that they would run out of cheese to slice. Like, could you imagine a life in which you're a cheese company and you, you have, I don't know, $50 million of machines in a facility and operators standing around and you're like, okay, guys, let's change over to the extra sharp cheddar from the sharp cheddar. And they're like, sorry, Max, we ran out of cheese today. Interesting. Yes. Well, that, that was actually a, a real life problem. They probably wouldn't appreciate us talking about this. Uh, but no, uh, people running out of, of raw materials. So what is the normal conversation you have with people while talking about necessary insufficient like or maybe not even what's the normal conversation like what's the best way we can explain necessary and sufficient to people to help them understand that all of their processes require necessary and sufficient and if we were to break everything down that we need to check all the boxes for necessary but we also need to check all the boxes for sufficient yeah, so with your example, it's easy to identify the infrastructure that we need and the machines yep. and the equipment, but also we need to know the supporting elements okay. too. So an example would be, oh, a lot of companies, we need an ERP system. So they think that's a necessary condition to achieve the delivery of the product mm -hmm. to the retail store. Yep. Okay, what's so what's the ERP system going to do for us? And a lot of people have this perception, it's like, well, that's what everybody does, so mm -hmm. it must be it's necessary. Yeah. But you really need to understand and say, okay, what is the requirement for the ERP? What are you trying to achieve by putting that ERP system? In? Yes. And, you know, a lot of things that we look at, a lot of times the ERP systems are what's causing the ineffectiveness of the system because mm -hmm. of some of the methodologies that are used. You know, so... We talked today yeah. about economic order clients. Mm -hmm. So purchasing typically an ERP system is looking at a min-max inventory system mm -hmm. using economic order quantity as the calculation to determine how much raw materials we should hold. Yep. But the company we're working with, they have excess raw materials. I think most companies have, most companies with min-max, like you have to have excess raw materials, right? That that is the concept of a min-max. So min-max for anyone who doesn't know means like, let's say I need 10 paintings, right? And one, that is that is the maximum I can have. But the minimum I could have is three paintings because someone may come in and decide that they really need three paintings. So as soon as I get down to three or four, whatever the min is, I order I, either up to 10 or I order, if I can only buy in quantities of 10, means I would buy 10 more and I would then have 14 on stock, which would be above my max. But if my minimum order quantity would put me above my max, when I hit the minimum, I have to order. I have to order, right? Even if I, even if it's winter time and I plan on selling zero paintings, my generally with a min max order system, many of them are automated so that they just, go and push the order for the next, you know, bulk order, the next quantity order. And so there's a necessary condition that we need an inventory management system. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, people say, oh, well, then we'll use a min-max system because that's what we know. But a lot of times a min-max isn't sufficient. It doesn't deliver sufficient results. So yep. how do we know it doesn't deliver sufficient results? We see shortages of some items mm -hmm. and we overstock on other items. Okay. So to me... Inventory management is a necessary condition, but 
maybe min-max isn't the best solution to mm -hmm. create a sufficient so system, mm -hmm. especially when we have supply chains now that yep. are so unreliable yes. and so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So in a min-max system, it's just looking at, okay, what's my inventory level? When do I reorder right mm -hmm. to the minimum? Yep. And it really doesn't consider the whole replenishment cycle. Mm -hmm. So to have a sufficient inventory management system, you need to consider what is a replenishment cycle, what's the maximum consumption of inventory having that replenishment cycle, mm -hmm. and adjust the target based on that. So if we if the replacement cycle is getting longer because of unreliability, we need to increase the target. And by doing a min-max where we have, oh, we wait till we get to the min, and then, oh, instead of ordering you know, up to the max of 10, mm -hmm. well, we're running short, so let's order 15. Yeah, Because we so, don't want to be caught short. Because everybody does that. Now it gives you false demands, so we call it the bullwhip effect. Yeah. So now when you start increasing your maximums because you're shortage, mm -hmm. it starts to overreact and the accumulation of everybody doing that yeah. creates more demand on supply chain, makes it more unreliable. So we, we saw that a couple of years ago, especially with toilet paper, right? Yeah. <laughs> All over the news, no one could find toilet paper at the store. You go to the store and there's no toilet paper. Max, do you know anyone that ran out of toilet paper? No. I don't know anyone who ran out of toilet paper either, but what I do know is you've got folks like my mom who are, who see the news and they're like they're like oh my god we're gonna run out of toilet paper you know what the worst thing in the world would be and my parent my family's house it would be to run out of toilet paper max like no one wants that and I think we all agree no one wants that but you do things like my mom does and so she sees she sees a case of toilet paper she goes by this case of toilet paper she sees that Costco has those like industrial rolls like those huge ones she buys two cases of those. And then she goes to the store again. So every time she goes to the store, she's like, oh, my God, there's a toilet paper sorted. So she buys these cases of toilet paper. And pretty soon you go back and you visit my mom. And she's got like 4,812 rolls of toilet paper in the basement. And you're like, holy crap, mom. This is literally a lifetime supply of toilet paper. And you know what she does every time I go and see her, Max? No, she goes and buys some. Well, she probably does that. But she, she's like, do you need toilet paper? And I'm like, no, especially not the crappy toilet paper that you purchased. Mom. But, but she goes and she buys more toilet paper. And so that just continues that bullwhip effect, as Max was discussing, of ne it will never allow our supply chain to settle to understand what demand looks like because demand continues to go up, 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 up. And at some point, the market is going to be so saturated with toilet paper, like no one will have to buy a toilet paper for a year because we all have a year supply. And a they'll be overstocks. Yes, there'll be overstocks which will cause the catastrophic issues in the other side, which will cause them to stop producing toilet paper. And so a year and a half from now, when people need toilet paper and they've run out of their old toilet paper, it will be very hard and very expensive to get that. And I think we see that with most products, especially paper goods, um, over the course of the very beginning of the pandemic. We see a lot of strange bullwhip effect uh, as we travel. Uh, just going like, especially looking at Costco, like some Costco's exceptionally well stocked. Some Costco's absolutely no chicken. If you've ever walked into a Costco, they've got like, I don't know, 115 feet of just all these chicken products. And every once in a while, you, you walk in and the news says there's, there's a run on this stuff. And there's literally like two packs of chicken drumsticks in the entire Costco. That, that's just kind of that, that bullwhip. And people see that there's not X product. So they go rush to the store and it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy of the bullwhip effect. So let's go back to, to the min-max. Matt, 
yeah, Min Max, Max, both Max and Dave, Dave and Max agree that Min Max is not the correct, uh, is not the correct way to order. We will talk about the correct way to order at some point, maybe next episode. But let me ask the important question, Max. If Min Max isn't the correct way to order, why? Why do so many people, why do 90, 95%, 99% of companies order with, with Min Max requirements? That's a great question. Well, that's why I'm here, Max. One to introduce you, to welcome you on your own show, and two to ask you good questions. I think it all stems from the cost mentality of trying to minimize yep. costs. So if you yep. look at the cost model behind the Min Max, yep. it's the economic order quantity. Yep. So the economic order quantity is you're trying to minimize total cost mm -hmm. between, you know, purchase cost and holding cost and uh, obsolescence cost mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So you're trying to minimize that cost. Yep. And it's, you know, we know that cost mentality kills flow. Yes. So when we have the cost mentality that kills flow, mm -hmm. but I think that, you know, that's what we're taught. Yep. Right? We're caught, we're, we're taught to be cost conscious and to minimize cost. Yeah. And so I think it all stems from that belief. Now, do you think, is that cost conscious, like similar to lean? Like, so we talked about lean and last episode and how lean gets a bad rap and lean is for the reduction of waste. But most people think of lean and they think of reducing costs. Do you think that stems back to kind of like the concept of what was it like the forties, fifties, sixties, kind of the reducing waste which got churned into the cut costs and the, the the kind of what 60s through 90s in which we were cutting costs by basically any means necessary including outsourcing and and over and uh offshoring yes yes so um so the cost cutting mentality so we know that that's not a sufficient way to run a business. Mm -hmm. And so that's some of the root causes of what we see a lot of the problems. Yep. People don't step back and try to understand, you know, we have these systems are not delivering the sufficient results and they don't do the root cause enough mm -hmm. to figure out what is causing the insufficiency. Yep. And then they just put band-aid solutions in place to try and correct it. And of course, it doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It just sometimes escalates the problem. Yes, absolutely. So I actually have an example of a company. We went in and we were trying to improve their distribution and their inventory terms. Mm -hmm. They were using the min-max system. So I said, mm -hmm. oh, how did you come up with the, uh, the min-max number? And they said, well, we took all the costs to do everything. Yeah. Right? And it's like, and then we took those costs and said, okay, what's the minimum order quantity or the order quantity that minimizes that total cost. Said, yeah. So what makes up the cost? They said, oh, you know, the purchase cost and the transportation costs yeah. and the carrying costs and the internal costs. They started listing all these costs. And I said, so what did you put for the internal costs? They said, well, we, we calculated it's $8 to create a purchase order. $8 to create a purchase order? Yeah, $8 to create. So, okay. so I just have one question for you. Only one, Max? Yes. How much does it cost you not to create a purchase order? <laughs> I said, it's $8 because you pay the purchasing guy a salary, whether he's making purchase orders or not making purchase orders. Yes. So there's this false mindset that the activity has something to do with the cost. Mm -hmm. But the labor cost is fixed. Yes. So it doesn't matter whether I make 1,000 purchase orders or two, the cost is the same. 
Yep. So how do you allocate a cost of somebody's activity to making a purchase order when it's a fixed cost? That does seem very strange. You imagine that the correct way to allocate it. And I find it really funny that two people who are not finance folks spend so much time talking about finances, Max. Like you guys literally would not believe how much time we spend talking about finances. But I would imagine that that would be just more like a fixed cost and operating cost, right? It's a salary and uh, this is also another conversation that so we will have. Don't allocate the cost to the inventory. Yes. So when you allocate the cost to the inventory, it starts to get your decision-making distorted. It does. So the more cost that I allocate to the inventory, it's going to change your EOQ number. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with cost. It has everything to do with availability. Yes. Replacement time. So what's yes. the purpose of inventory? It's to... It's to, um, to really, we have the demand and supply side. It's mm -hmm. a shock absorber between demand and supply. Yep. So when we have high variability demand, high variability and supply, we need more inventory to absorb that variability. When you have less variability and supply and demand, we need less inventory to handle that variability. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the cost. Absolutely. So, um, Let's let's kind of wrap this up towards necessary and sufficient. Uh, back to back to our topic. So, Max kind of led us down the road of ERP, and, and we do ERPs because we feel like it, it's a feeling. It's not a flow. We feel like we need to do it. And and I will be the first to say there are absolutely legitimate reasons to put an ERP in place. Otherwise, ERP would not be an industry as it is. So there are absolutely legitimate reasons to put an ERP in place. This is absolutely not the show. You guys should check out Sam Gupta and, and what he does. And he talks about ERP. He can talk about it in a, in a much better level in uh, than Max and I do. But there are absolutely reasons to do ERPs. Um, but so as as Max and I talk to companies, and especially Max, Max has has a very good example. And so as as we go through this process, the design sprint process that we talked about earlier, uh, Max likes to kind of take and put together six KPIs, right? Like what are the six necessary, it's not even air quotes, it's what are the six necessary things that we need in order for the company to succeed? Uh, three internal, three external KPIs for, for a total of six. And then, then you look at all of the initiatives, all the things that you want to do, and you figure out which of those six that it lines up under. And if it doesn't line up, it's not necessary, right? If it doesn't move the needle on one of the KPIs, then we got a question, is it really necessary? Yes. But we're all want to be good in our job. We all want to be efficient. Mm -hmm. And we're always looking for better ways to do things. Yes. So is it going to convert into better company performance? Yep. We really need to question it. Yes. So as we talked last episode about, uh, you know, theory of constraints, that, that, is, a, that is very much a, a flow-oriented uh thought process, right? It's very much flow oriented. And in TOC, you guys will be fun. You guys will be happy to know that C stands for constraint. And that's what you look for. You know, you look for the, the constraint or the pinch point in the flow. And then everything you do should be focused around how do I reduce or eliminate anything that will, well, I guess, how do I reduce or eliminate the constraint? And if the constraint is a design constraint, how do I eliminate anything upstream or downstream of the constraint to not let it run at a hundred percent? Yes. And so th those are necessary conditions to allow you to 
alleviate to the best way humanly possible the constraint. So necessary and sufficient. Everything that we do needs to be a necessary part of the process, right? Necessary to, to make your product, to provide your service. If it is not necessary, it is, I suppose, unnecessary. Yes, if it's not necessary, it's unnecessary. And if we don't need to do it, uh, Max, Max and I like to look at, you know, important KPIs, put together those KPIs. And if it doesn't move the needle on any of those KPIs, we really have to strongly look and decide if it's necessary. Um, then that's, that's kind of one of those things that like you could absolutely step on toes. But if you do a good job explaining the reason why we're going through this process and what a constraint is and how everything we do as an organization needs to be as one system to help increase the throughput and the most specifically the throughput through the constraint, if we can change that thought process and that mentality, then everything that we are doing should be necessary. And if we do it at a sufficient level, we can then go through the process of doing better as an organization. Yes, and to, to that point, if we know where the constraint is and we're looking to improve performance, we know that we need to improve the performance of the constraint. If we have ideas to improve other areas mm -hmm. and it's not helping the constraint be more effective, is it really necessary? We know that Max's answer is no. I can tell you it's no. See, I don't even have to look at him. I know that it's no because uh, I, I feel like Max doesn't necessarily take like huge amounts of joy in looking at people and telling them that it's not necessary. He might take the enjoyment and explaining to them how, uh, how their ERP or, or their website or, you know, the new fun toy that they want to buy for the company is not necessary. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It doesn't mean that you should never do it. It just means that it is detracting from management attention and so i typically don't tell people i ask questions explain to me how this is going to help us get more through this resource and if they yep. can't explain it yep and they can't show me how it's going to help yep. do that it's probably not necessary see that that's the teacher in max the, the teacher in max wants to like slowly lead them down the path i'm generally standing like behind the person jumping up and down and be like max just let me tell them like, like someone give me a whiteboard or a piece of paper. Oh heck, someone give me a dry erase marker and I'll just draw it on the, uh, I'll just draw it on the wall. But no, so necessary and sufficiency, we can break every process, we can break every product and company uh, down into necessary steps. And we need to have a sufficient level of the, the resources, human material and otherwise in order to do the necessary steps in order to create the product uh, and, deliver the and deliver the results. Uh, but no, thank you everyone. Um, please feel free to reach out and let us know what you think about necessary and sufficient. I have a good feeling Max and I are going to do a couple more on these uh, on necessary and sufficient as we go down the path of trying to explain what people who understand necessary and sufficient as like a very easy, like exceptionally straightforward concept, we, we feel like there is a gap between how most people are talking about it, how we read it in textbooks, and how, I don't know, like 97.5% of the rest of the world understand the concept of necessary and sufficient. Because if you ever get in front of a group of 100 people 
and you ask them if they understand necessary and sufficient, Max, I'm not sure we've ever had a single person shake their head no. They're always like, of course, it's necessary and sufficient. I'm not going to be the person that shakes my head no. I have to work with these people all the time. Um, until next time, we will see all you guys soon. Thank you.